Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today is part three in the teaching series, Our Awesome God, the Trinity. Today's message is entitled, Jesus the Christ. We pray to the Father. We pray to the Son. We pray to the Holy Spirit. We sing to the Father. We sing to the Son. We sing to the Holy Spirit. One God Yet three persons in one. We have called this the Trinity. Actually, if you think of God and all of his infiniteness and incomprehensibleness, any analogy that we would put toward him would fall short. But throughout the years, as people have wrestled and struggled with this, and what the scriptures say about who God is, we've called him Trinity. Now, two quick points about the Trinity. First, it's a mystery. Church scholars, leaders, priests, uh, pastors throughout the years have wrestled with this, attempted to understand it, and we've all fallen short. It's a mystery. Secondly, you'll never find the word in the Bible. We have inferences to it, which we'll see in a minute, but it's not found in the Bible. Our authority, however, for speaking about God comes from this book, from the Bible. God has revealed to humankind who he is through this book. Now, during the first few centuries of the church, Christians began to wrestle with the scriptures and what they have to say about God. These early Christians, they studied the scriptures. They saw the words of Jesus. They heard the words of the epistles. They saw that the Father was divine. They saw that the Son was divine. They saw the Holy Spirit was divine. Yet they knew that God was one. And so they wrestled and wrestled and tried to explain God to, to honor the integrity of the Bible. And so they included all kind of people in studies and councils, and they brought people's opinions together, and they wrestled and they fought, and, they, and some of them were con, considered heretics or called heretics afterwards, but they concluded that the Bible taught that there was one, one God, that the Father is God, that the Son is God, and that the Holy Spirit is God what we now call the Trinity. So today, I understand you all have studied about uh, the Holy Spirit. I would like us to look at the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. The person of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Now John Stott wrote this. The person and work of Christ are the rock upon which the Christian religion is built. If he is not who he said he was... And if he did not do what he said he came to do, the foundation is undermined and and the whole superstructure will collapse. Now, we refer to Jesus as Jesus Christ, and Christ isn't his last name. Um, Christ is actually a title. It means the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one. And so what I'd like to do is look at the second person of the Trinity from three perspectives this morning. The pre-incarnate Christ, the incarnate Christ, which uh, incarnate means embodied or he became flesh, and the post-incarnate Christ. So the pre-incarnate Christ, the incarnate Christ, and the post-incarnate Christ. So let's look at the pre-incarnate Christ. If you have your Bible or your phone, I want to invite you to open with me to John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Briefly, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So what does this passage tell us? It tells us that the word was eternal, that is, it was in the beginning. That the word was a person. It says he was with God and it calls him he. Uh, the word was deity because it goes on to say he was God. And of course, the he here is speaking of Jesus and the whole rest of the gospel is about him. It says that this word was creator, that he was life, and that he was light. Now, in the original translation of the Bible, when it was written, it was written in Greek, and the Greek word here is used is called logos. And in Greek thought, this word was a term which represented the reason, the source, the self-existence of the universe, logos. And so what the Apostle John does here is he combines this with the Hebrew thinking in Genesis, about in the beginning, to proclaim the pre-existence and then the incarnation of Christ. So you have the word, the logos. The second thing I want you to see about the pre-incarnate Christ is what's called the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Now, when you're reading the Old Testament, I want you to start noticing something. You'll hear about angels and angel of the Lord, or you'll hear about the angel of the Lord. What is the angel of the Lord referring to? So turn to Exodus chapter 3, and this is a rather lengthy passage. This is the calling of Moses to go rescue God's people from Egypt. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jephro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock on the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Notice it says the angel, not an, not an angel. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it, it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Wait a minute, I thought we were just talking about the angel of the Lord. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not come near and take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And the next few verses go on and tell about how God understands the suffering of his people. And in verse 12, But I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you. God is telling Moses, he's going to send Moses to rescue the people. And this will be a sign that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. 
you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I go to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What am I to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. All right, so who is God talking to here? Moses. And Moses is talking, and he says the angel of the Lord came to him, but then the Lord speaks. And so you'll notice that whenever the angel of the Lord shows up in a passage in, in the Old Testament, God ends up speaking. And then he gives his name. I am that I am. This became so sacred that the Hebrew people would not even pronounce it. And when they would be reading the scripture and they'd come to the name of God, they would say Adonai instead of Yahweh, which is how it's translated. God's name was sacred. So fast forward to the time of Jesus. And Jesus is talking to some of the religious leaders and they're describing certain events that are, that are going and they're upset with Jesus because of the words he's saying and the things he's doing. And they get into this discussion about Abraham. And then Jesus does something phenomenal in John chapter 8, verse 58. He says to these leaders, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And he takes this sacred name of God on himself, claiming it for himself. Of course, they were shocked. Then one more thing I want you to see from the Old Testament about the pre-incarnate Christ. This is in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. It's kind of a weird story, I have to confess. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirst for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with this thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in sight of the elders, and he called the name of the place Massa in Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they had tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So who stood by the rock? We got Moses, the elders, and God. You say, well, what does that have to do with him? Well, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, is describing this whole journey 
and what happens here. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 4. Our fathers all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Again and again in the Old Testament, you see inferences to this pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, the Christ, Daniel in the lion's den. We're told the angel of the Lord held the, held the lion. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was this fourth person in there with them in the fiery furnace. Remember that? Like a son of God or son of man. These were all expressions of the second person of the Trinity before he became incarnate. So let's look at the incarnate Christ. And probably the theme verse for this would be John chapter 1, verse 14. We just heard a few minutes ago about the word in the beginning was the word and word. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. The gospel teaches us that Jesus was this word who became flesh, that he was God's son, that he was divine. Remember when the angel appeared to Mary and told her she was going to be pregnant, the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her? In Luke one thirty-five, we have this description from the angel Gabriel. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For this reason, the holy offspring will be called the Son of God. Jesus' life, Jesus' claims... Jesus' actions all backed this up. Well, the early Christians wrestled with how you explain this and how you interpret what we see in the Scripture. And in 325, they met in council called the Council of Nicaea, and leaders came from all over the church, and they tried to debate and, and understand who Jesus was. And they came out of that with saying, Jesus the Son was co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. As, as the Nicene Creed says it, if, if you ever say that, it says, God from God, light from light, very God from very God is who Jesus was. And then a few years later at the Council of Chalcedon or in 451, they're wrestling with, well, did Jesus have a human nature or did he have a godly nature? What was his nature? And they were debating back and forth, and this is what they concluded, that Jesus the Son has two natures, unmixed, unchanged, undivided, and inseparable. That Jesus on one hand was fully God, and on the other hand, he was fully human. Fully God, yet fully human. And that he identifies with us in our humanity in every way except one. And Hebrews 2 tells us that he did not sin. In the paradigm of Jesus, he was the son of man. You see, from Jesus' perspective, Jesus, he'd always been God and became human. So he became a son of man. And you'll notice when he describes himself in the Gospels, he always refers to himself as the son of man. From the disciples' perspective, from their paradigm, they referred to him as the son of God. He was God who became human. He became one of us. He entered the human race. So he was the son of God. And that's how they referred to him. So son of man, son of God, fully human, fully God. 
at the same time. And we're told that he entered the human race because God loves us and wants relationship with us. He wants us to know him. And that he wanted to make a way for our sin problem to be solved. So once you begin to look at Jesus through the lens of his divinity, it is amazing how his words jump off the page in different ways and speak to you in in fresh and new ways. For example, in John chapter 14, verse 6, listen to this passage. And many of you have heard this before. And it actually sounds pretty arrogant. Except when you think about who's saying. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I not been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. So the pre-incarnate Christ, the incarnate Christ, and then there's the post-incarnate Christ. Jesus, as we know, was crucified and he died for our sins, but that's not the end of the story. The post-incarnate Christ is alive and he's living. And we see this in several ways. He's the resurrected Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15 talks about his resurrection and how he appeared to Peter and then he appeared to all the apostles and at one point he appeared to over 500 people at the same time. And he's also the redeeming Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 we find this, by Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Those who come to him by faith, he's redeem- he redeems them. He's the redeeming Christ. We're also told that he's the reigning Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. We find this through through 24. According to the working of his great might that might be worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of all in all. So he's reigning even now, even though we're confused about that sometimes. He is reigning. And then we're told that this post-incarnate Christ will return. He's the returning Christ. And Revelation chapter 19 is a beautiful picture of his return. So the pre-incarnate Christ, the incarnate Christ, and the post-incarnate Christ, all expressions of this second person of the Trinity. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. We must think of the Son always, so to speak, streaming forth from the Father, like light from a lamp, 
of heat from a fire or thoughts from a mind. He is the self-expression of the Father, what the Father has to say. And there was never a time when he was not saying it. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says it this way. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by his power. And the apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says it this way. He is the visible expression of the invisible God. As the little five-year-old girl said, Jesus is God with skin on. So Jesus Christ, God's son, the second person of the Trinity. Now there is a temptation to separate the Godhead. This is called modalism. And actually it was considered a heresy early in the church. We can't do this. We can't separate. They're They're all the same God, just different expressions of the same God. We say today there are three dimensions of reality, height, width, depth. Well, the Bible teaches there are three dimensions of the reality of God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's because of this Jesus, the second person, that we're able to have access to this awesome God. As Ephesians 2.18 says, through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. It's through Jesus' death and it's through his resurrection that we're able to have relationship with the Father. It's through his death and resurrection that we're able to have forgiveness of our sins and be in right relationship with God the Father. Now, God doesn't have grandchildren. You ever notice that? He only has children. He wants to call each of us his daughter or his son. But it only comes through Jesus Christ. As we heard a few minutes ago in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I want to invite you today to consider this. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with the Godhead, God Almighty. It comes through Jesus Christ and it comes through his grace by faith. But some of you here this morning, maybe you have had that relationship. And for whatever reason, you've kind of parked it on the shelf. Well, maybe today's the day to open that relationship back up. That was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit awordfromthelord.org. There you will find today's message and previously aired messages, where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. A word from the Lord.org has audio archives of Foley Beach's one minute radio feature and much more. So visit a word from the Lord.org for audio, articles, and information about the ministry. You can find a word from the Lord on Facebook and be sure to click the like button to follow our feed on Facebook. You'll want to be sure to visit Foley's blog at bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. On the blog, you can read the many articles posted by Dr. Beach. Many of these blog entries are excerpts and full articles published in local publications. You can also follow Foley on Twitter. His Twitter address is twitter.com 
at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at foleybeach at a word from the Lord dot org. Again, his email is foleybeach at a word from the Lord dot org. You can contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A Word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. And we thank you for this opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us again next time for the next broadcast of A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.